0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, and Chumakar Sandu from Toronto, in Canada. We say this every week, but we really mean it this week. It is a packed show. We have got MMA coming at us from all different directions. But the first thing, Sandu, you mentioned it to me just before we uh, we hit record. Your beloved Spurs have suddenly suddenly rediscovered their form, and it's down to. Basically, a, a, a cast-off, a, a, a player, a player who you sold, who the, Real Madrid don't want him anymore. You can't afford to buy him, but you're borrowing him for a bit. Gareth Bale is back, and all of a sudden, all is right, all is right with the world. Uh, um, I was going to say White Hart Lane, but it's uh, it's the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium now. Yes,
1: yes, it is, mate. What an amazing weekend if you're a Spurs fan, and I know that the majority of our listeners are Spurs fans. I can just feel the energy. Uh, When you listen to our show, mate, let me tell you something, right? Wasn't happy with the performance against Everton, right? I was coming off this high after watching All or Nothing, which was a great uh, sports documentary on Amazon Prime uh, based on Spurs season last year. And then down in the dumps again, I'm like, oh God, here we go. Can we not just start the season with a win just to kind of, you know, keep that positive momentum going? And then bang, the rumors start to swell. Gareth Bale could be coming back and we got the deal done. He's back home. My favorite player, arguably one of the best players to have ever played for Spurs. If you think about just his talent, I mean, he he went away to Real Madrid. He won two league titles and won what, four Champions Leagues in what, the span of seven years? That's insane. Um... Obviously had a rough couple of years with them in terms of getting uh, to play consistently and he's had a few injuries. But the way I look at it, he's 31. He's still got plenty of solid years in his prime ahead of him. And um, he's back home and he's, you know, back at a club that loves him. He's going to be cheered on, you know, eventually when they allow fans back into stadiums by a group of supporters that really are fond of him and um and i think that kind of gave a bit of a an injection of enthusiasm to the team when we played um southampton this past weekend first half wasn't great to be fair right but uh to 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 finish the game 5-2 and to get our first points on the board for the season and then to see chelsea lose as well mate it couldn't have gone any better if you're a spurs fan so i'm over the moon i'm elated and I'm really kind of raring to go and I can't wait to see Bale and that team, especially alongside Harry Kane and Hung Min Son. I mean, that's gonna be an absolute threat and they're gonna terrorise defences this year. I can't wait for it.
0: Yeah, he's good. I'm a bit I'm a bit more old school than you. He's no Paul Gascoigne. He's no Paul he's good, but he's no Paul Gascoigne. And he's no Jimmy Greaves either. For any any particularly old fans of Tottenham Hotspur. Um he was he was he was pretty useful for them as well. Right. Just very quickly, Gillingham 132 as well. We're doing okay. We'll move on. MMA. This is an MMA podcast. So let's talk some MMA. We had we had a big fight night card. I mean UFC Fight Night cards. Normally when you see the words UFC Fight Night, you think, okay, it's not gonna be the A-listers. It's just a slight a slight grade down from the big pay-per-view events. This felt like a big pay-per-view event. I thought the way the card was put together. Especially the, you know, especially the way the main card played out as well. Every fight had a storyline behind it. It was a great card of fights. Sometimes you see these events and you look at them on paper and you think, this could be good, and they don't always deliver. This one delivered. It was absolutely superb. Um, the final event at the UFC Apex before they head off to Fight Island this weekend, more of which uh, a bit later on in the show, Let's just kick it straight off with the main event, Sandy. Colby Covington beating Tyron Woodley in the fifth round. It was an injury TKO in the end that did for Tyron Woodley, but let's make no mistake here. He wasn't winning this fight. He was getting well and truly uh, taken to the cleaners by Colby Covington. Um, It was dominant. It was absolutely dominant. What we saw, Colby Covington on top of his game and Tyron Woodley really nowhere near the top of his game. How did you assess the performance of both men. And what I want to talk about first, where does Tyron Woodley go from here?
1: Right. So with regards to the performance, it was completely one side of Simon. Colby Covington just essentially just did what he does. You know, he's got stamina. He's he's on the front foot. He's applying pressure. Doesn't let you breathe. He almost suffocates you with his presence. And Tyron Woodley, you know, this is now, what, 15 rounds in a row where he just hasn't won a round. Kamaru Usman, Gilbert Burns, and now Colby Covington. And yes, it was a TKO due to a rib injury. I'm kind of, like, for, for Colby's sake, I think it worked out well. Because I think had it gone just to the judges' scorecards, I was already seeing some comments about maybe the the fight not living up to the hype, being a little bit lacklustre. Everybody wants to see finishes. That's what everybody wants, especially in the big marquee main events. So the fact that he kind of kind of te- on a technicality eked his way to a finish in that fifth round I think has kind of served him well, uh coming out of this fight. We can talk about some other stuff that perhaps hasn't served him so well. But with regards to Tyron Woodley Simon, at 38, I just don't think he can compete with the absolute best. And and listen, he former champion, he's climbed to the top of the mountain, he's reached the peak. He's just on his way down from that peak, and he's fighting the cream of the crop, the absolute best welterweights in the world, in their prime, and they're putting their stuff together. Man, like I said, Kamara Usman, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington, you could argue, are the top three welterweights in the world right now. You can make a damn good case for that right now, and Tyron's you know, fought all three of them in the last 18 months. If he wants to continue fighting, which from what I've seen on social media, he does. I think the UFC need to do some careful matchmaking with him moving forward. Um, typically, they like to kind of you know serve the, the old to the young and get maybe some of their, their younger up and coming prospects uh, in there with someone who's on their way down just so that they can make a name off him. I don't know if Tyron Woodley is going to want to be that kind of person. But if he wants to continue fighting, I don't know what, what other kind of options he has in front of him. Um, it's going to be tough for him. It's, he, he might have to swallow a bitter pill with regards to uh, potential opponents moving forward. Uh, tough to see, if I'm being honest. You, you know, you're looking at some, you know, one of the greatest wits of all time. He had his run, and I just don't know what it is about Woodley. We, we spoke about it on the preview show last week, Simon. He just hasn't been able to let go of his hands and land those killer punches, those knockout power blows and strikes that he's got a highlight reel full of. So I don't know what's happened in the last few years. Whether he's you know gun shy, you know he, he something's going on, and I don't know if it's men- mental. Uh, I don't know if it's just tactically when he's in the cage with these guys, where he perhaps can't see the angles. But 25 minutes with Usman, 25 minutes with Gilbert Burns, and 25 or just sub 25 minutes with Carby Covington, and he didn't land uh, a killer blow or even something that was close to rocking any three of those guys. Tough times for Tyron Woodley, Simon.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's really hard to see quite where he goes from here. He's going to he's probably going to have to fight someone sort of ranked sort of in almost in double figures, I think. Um to get that to get that bounce back and even that is no guarantee. But, I mean, Colby Covington, let's talk about him. I mean, we will we'll talk a bit more about the uh, Colby Covington the brand a little bit later on but we'll talk about Colby Covington the fighter uh, for this particular part of the show and if you take a look at it I mean if he had legitimate one-shot knockout power I think you'd be talking about one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world right now I really do Um, I know he's polarizing and all the rest of it but just look at what the man does in the cage it is really really hard to pick holes in what Colby Covington does um as a professional mixed martial artist when he's actually in there competing the only knock you can make on him is that he isn't knocking people out or he isn't submitting people um earlier in his career he was putting guys away a lot of it was with sort of ground and pound and stuff but now he's in there with guys who are who are tough enough to stand with him he he beats them he beats them with his cardio he beats them with his output he beats them with his work rate and uh if there is a fitter better conditioned fighter in the UFC right now. I'm not sure I've seen them. I think Colby Covington might just be the number 1 uh, best conditioned fighter in the UFC. He's outstanding. Uh the problem he has is that the guy he wants to fight, the guy he really really wants to fight, Kamara Usman beat him and broke his jaw and finished him. Now, Colby will get in front of a mic and say fake this, fake that, fake the rest of it. He lost fair and square. He got beat. It was a hell of a fight, but he lost. Um, so the question now is, where does he go? Because Usman has got business to attend to with Gilbert Burns. Um, Leon Edwards is knocking on the door. Well, no one seems to want to answer it. So <laughs> who on earth, who on earth, he's going to fight next? I don't know. Um, and Hoy uh, Masvidal is 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 lurking around, looking for a rematch as well. So. It's a pretty cloudy sort of picture at the top of the 170 pound division, which is great if you're a UFC matchmaker because you've got options all over the place. You could almost draw the names out of a hat and you know you've got a dynamite title fight, a dynamite co-main event to sit under the title fight if you wanted to book them together. Where do you where do you see Colby Covington in in this whole mix? Is he the should he be the number one contender? And if he shouldn't be who should he be fighting next? I mean, we know he won't fight Usman next. So if we if we, if we we take that fight off the table, who should he fight next?
1: That's a great question, Simon. And there's so many options. And I think that's where, I think from Colby's perspective, he needed a big win. He got his win, right? He's been the talk of the town for better or for worse. You know, we're a few days removed from the fight now as well. So say what you want, but he's in the new cycle. You know, his name is in the new cycle right now a lot. And so people are familiar with him. You know, you've got, I think, fans that are rooting for him. You've got fans that are somewhat in the middle, but they'll still tune in. And you've got fans who absolutely despise him, but will tune in to see him get his ass kicked, basically. right? Now, if you're the UFC, what do you do? Great question. So there's, a, there's obviously the him Mazadal option. They've got history, a fantastic, compelling storyline used to be really good friends used to be roommates training partners we we, we know all this we've seen all the uh, the images in the video that would be very very compelling but if you're the ufc and in the last couple of years you've just been handed this cash cow that is jorge Mazdal having this late career um emergence as, a, as an absolute bona fide draw do you really want to put him in there with a colby covington and perhaps see um, Masvidal take two back-to-back losses in, in what could potentially be a similar fashion. If Colby does to Masvidal what Usman does does to Masvidal, then does the Masvidal stock drop moving forward, right? If I'm the UFC, I think I go ahead with that BMF rematch. I think you do Masvidal and you do Diaz too. It's gonna print money. It's gonna keep both guys in the limelight. I think if the fight goes anywhere uh, near it did um, the first time around, you're probably looking at a Mazdal win. And it's always good to have one of your cash cows back in the win column because it just extends their life cycle in terms of how many more pay-per-views you can utilize that fighter for, right? Now, don't get me wrong when I say that. If they book Covington Mazdal, I'm all in. I am absolutely all in. Then you have to think about Masvidal's, um ambitions. He has said... From day one, he wants to get that UFC championship. He wants to get that UFC title. Well, to get another title shot, what better opponent to defeat than the guy that just beat Tyron Woodley, that just fought for the title, as a a legitimate top contender in his prime. If Jorge Masvidal beats Carl V. Cummington, I don't think anybody would have any issue with him getting another crack at the title. right? You mentioned Leon Edwards. We talked about this last week. Leon had to make some noise in some way, shape, or form either before or after the fight. He chose to do it after the fight. And he went for Colby Covington on Twitter, calling him a racist, um, essentially said he'd like to fight him in December. That's what I would have done if I'm um, Leon Edwards, is just to kind of keep your name in the mix. And again, if Colby Covington wants to get a title shot, that's another opponent he could definitely fight and beat. He's got this great win streak. And it's a win-win for both guys. You know, Leon's been out of the limelight for a while now. You know, we know that he has to fight. He's not going to get a title shot. He's going to have to fight somebody, right? And if they go with Mazadal Diaz, he is praying and hoping that they give him the Colby Covington fight. Because if they don't give him Colby, then who's left, right? Then you're looking at just really weak options, if I'm being honest. So it's tough. It's, it's tough to give you a direct answer, Simon, with regards to who I think you should fight next. We are the Brit Pack, right? And I would like to see Leon Edwards back in the mix as soon as possible. I think, gun to my head, I'd do Leon Edwards versus Carby Covington. And then I'd do Jorge Mazadal, Nate Diaz. And then let the chips fall where they fall with regards to who fights the winner of Gilbert Burns versus Kamara Usman. That's my that's my take on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, we don't live in a perfect world. We don't live in a fair world. Because if we did, Leon Edwards would be fighting Kamara Usman for the belt. Uh, circumstances have basically uh shunted him off to the side um he has the best win streak um he's he's got a backstory with Usman uh Usman's the last guy to beat him a long time ago now uh and Usman has even when asked come out and said that Leon Edwards would give him his toughest fight so but yet that's not a fight that's gonna that's gonna sell unfortunately for Leon um the Gilbert, you know Gilbert Burns has stepped in and taken his chance um can't argue with that but he beat a Tyron Woodley who doesn't look as good as he did so is should that be rated higher than Leon Edwards win streak I don't think so but it is you look at the UFC rankings which are trash anyway um you know the way they're put together so Leon is number three I think he should be number two or number one um I think the Colby versus Leon fight is the common sense fight to make given the surroundings that we find ourselves in. The Masvidal-Diaz fight seems to be where where they're going with Jorge. Even though I don't think that's a particularly competitive fight. I think I think Masvidal won it easily first time. I think he'll win it easily second time. But it's just, as you say, it's a sellable fight. Burns has got the title fight. It would be very unfair to take a title fight away from him at this point. Let him have his title fight. That means you've got Colby Covington, Leon Edwards. Those two aren't going to fight anybody else, I don't think. Unless the UFC do something absolutely crazy and throw Conor McGregor in there, or maybe a Hamzat Chimaev in there, just to completely throw everything into complete chaos. Um, who knows? Who knows? I mean, looking, looking at the division right now, there's a group of four below the champion and then there's a gap for me and then the best of the rest which is headed up by wonder boy so yeah it's got to be colby versus leon i don't know whether they're going to book that fight i really don't i don't know if that's a fight that that, that that um colby will take but the good news for colby is he's right there he's right there he's active he obviously had that that broken jaw he's recovered from that he's bounced back he's got a win he can walk around saying he's got a stoppage. Um, which which is sort of one for the naysayers, if you like. So he's got his win. Big, big, big stuff for Colby Covington in the in the months ahead. I am sure. Big decisions ahead for one of the men in the co-main event. Sandu Donald Cowboy Soroni took on Nico Price in a match-up that I was really looking forward to. Um, and uh, it was a it was a strange fight, and it ended up as a draw, a majority draw. Uh, 29-27 for Donald Cerrone and the other two cards were scored 28-28 even. Now, the reason I mention those scores is because Nico Price was penalised for an eye poke and had a point deducted. So basically, prior to the point deduction, or if you take the point deduction out of it, Nico Price won the fight in the eyes of the judges. That's that's what we're talking about here. He also won the fight in the eyes of Donald Cowboy Cerrone who in his post-fight press conference basically said, forget the... The verdict, that's five in a row I've lost now. I've lost five in a row. Um, and I felt great going in. I felt superb. Cowboy didn't show up. We've had. We've heard this before. We heard it after the Conor McGregor fight. And it's becoming a bit of a worry. I mean, Cerrone has been in situations before where he's turned up and just lit up his opponents. And then there's, uh, there's other situations like Saturday and like the, the Conor McGregor fight where... He wasn't there, and Cerrone in the post-fight press conference basically said he had to give himself a pep talk during the fight, just to try and snap himself out of whatever funk he was dealing with during the during the matchup. Managed to somehow get himself back into it to make it competitive. The, and then after after that, Dana White's talking about he might have to talk ha, have the retirement talk at some point soon with Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Cerrone doesn't want to retire. Cerrone, I think. thinking about talking to a sports psychologist to see if he can he can deal with this the big question is where does he stand has he earned the opportunity to, to to keep this going or does the UFC have a duty of care that they have to say okay cowboy we're going to give you one more and then you're going to have to hang him up how do you how do you go about dealing with this because Cerrone's a legend and he you know when he retires he will retire a legend and he will be a UFC Hall of Famer absolutely no doubt about it. He's got more records um than HMV, right? So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how this all happens for him. He said he's going to take the rest of this year off, which I think is wise, but he wants to run it back with Nico Price next year. Is that the fight to make? And uh is he right in saying that he's not going to retire yet? What do you reckon? Tuffy.
1: It is a tough, it is a tough one. The thing with Donald Cerrone is, and the UFC having a word with him is, if Cerrone wants to fight, then what do you do if you're the UFC? If you say to him, "Well, we understand you want to fight, but we don't want to, you know, continue this relationship," then you risk sending him off to a Bellator, and Bellator would snap him up, you know, with a snap of your fingers, because they give him some nice, easy opponents, continue to build his name, you know. Um, use his name he's obviously you know got such a he's a marquee player even though he's coming off all these losses at the moment and now a draw if he's still a household he, he's as close to a household name as you can get in this sport without being a UFC champion and without being a bona fide legitimate pay-per-view draw you know he just people know Cowboys fighting they're going to tune in That's why he's been involved with so many main events on Fight Nights, co-main events or main card appearances on pay-per-views. You know, he just headlined his very first pay-per-view earlier this year against Conor McGregor, right? And that counts for something because that brought a lot of attention as well. So even if people weren't aware of Cowboy, they certainly were after the Conor fight for better or for worse. You know what? It just came to mind, Simon. Why not Cerrone versus Woodley at Welterweight? It's something that i thought about in the last couple of minutes. You've got two guys who are both on a skid. They both need a gut check moment right now, whether they can still hang, right? Two names. And if you think about how many fights Cerrone's had and the who's who of who he's for, Woodley's not on that list. So that would be actually pretty fun. It's two names. You can put them on a main card of a pay-per-view. That could be a, a fight night, main event. Um, so there's a few different ways you can go. If Cerrone wants to take the rest of the year off, that's great. You've got Woodley who's going to have to spend some time recovering from a broken rib anyway. And like we s- spoke about at the top of the show, I don't think you put Woodley in there with anyone in the top ten right now. You know, it's got to be outside the top ten, maybe top fifteen, or just put him up against someone who's going to be fun, competitive, uh, and is also you know it'll be kind of like a, a loser leaves town situation. Where if you put Cowboy and, and Woodley together, if that would be if Woodley can't beat Cerrone, and that's his fourth loss in a row, I'm sure he'd want to kind of you know have a, a conversation with himself, let alone anybody else asking him or telling him he should retire. And the same thing with Cerrone. Um, so that might be a a, a worthwhile matchup to put together. So I can see why Cerrone wants to run it back with Nico Price. He probably thought that he he was competitive, but could have done a little bit more. So he's obviously had a feel of what Nico Price brings to the table. But at the same time, you know, without the point deduction, then I think Nico Price wins this fight. So it's a tough one. Um, but if you're asking me, do I think he will fight again in the UFC? Then the answer is yes.
0: Yeah, I wrote up um, Cowboys post-fight press conference for MMA Junkie. And the thing that he said about running it back with Nico, he actually said, to, in he spoke to Nico after the fight and said, At least let me give you the opportunity to beat me properly, you know? And at least let me give myself the opportunity to show up, right? So, you know, like Nico Price arguably should have won the fight. Cowboy Cerrone will be devastated at how he performed. He actually called it the worst performance of his career. So, but I love, I love the uh, the Cerrone Woodley matchup. I think, I think that it, 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 fixes a whole load of problems here you know what do you do with tyron woodley what do you do with cowboy cerrone um and if you get a winner out of that then you've got someone who can at least move on and have another big fight so i really like that i think i think that makes a whole load of sense i wonder if the ufc might might entertain that um towards the end of this year beginning of next year we will see um as for nico price always entertaining never see that man in a bad fight um I don't know how long his career can go having fights like that but he seems quite happy to have them and uh, we're grateful to be able to watch him. Uh the hybrid is a, is, a, is a is a special kind of uh, a special kind of fighter and uh you know I don't see him necessarily winning any championship belts in the UFC but um he'll certainly uh, retire with a fair few post fight bonuses I would imagine. So uh yeah, decent co-main event. Now, let's talk about the fight that preceded it. Um, A man who I think most people would consider to be a future contender at welterweight, fought at middleweight. Kamzachimayev, uh, the wolf, third fight in the UFC, became the fastest man to win three fights in the UFC against Gerald Mearshot. Now, I'd like to preface all of this. Last week on the show, I, I was almost at pains to explain why Gerald Mearshot was a legit threat for Kamzat Chimaev, why he was going to be such a dangerous test, why it would be interesting to see how Chimaev approaches this and whether we might see a bit of his striking. Oh boy. I did not expect <laughs> I did not expect him to spark him out with the first punch of the fight. Unbelievable stuff from uh from Kamzat Chimaev. That man is the truth. And uh, the the question now is how fast do the US you want to push him? And I'm not talking about speed of turnaround. I'm talking about level of opponent. I I came away from that fight thinking, I don't want to see him fight Damian Meyer. I want him in there with a top, top five, top seven guy. Put him in with somebody who has fought for a world title or is on the fringes of fighting for a world title. Let's see just how good the man is and get him to do it at his optimum weight class, which I think is 170. Is but... What was your reaction seeing that? I mean, I, I was expecting that to be a real test for him. That was no test at all. We absolutely blew him out of the water. It was amazing.
1: Yeah, I was on shift for BT Sport, and me clipping that finish was the most successful, most engaged uh, post of the night. It got, I think, over a 1,000 retweets. And you have to think about content like this from my perspective Video content on the BT Sport handle is geo locked to the UK and Ireland because they are the broadcast partner of the UFC in the UK and Ireland. So I'm always monitoring, you know, how posts perform. Knockouts obviously always do well, but this was another level. This was another level, and it kind of was a massive indicator to me that Kamsat Shumaev is he's capturing the imagination of MMA fans globally. Obviously, the UFC are doing their part to promote him. Dana White's doing his part. The media love him. We love him. Like, because we can see where he's potentially headed. Nine fights, nine wins, nine finishes. Incredible. And the fact that he was fighting at middleweight and he got a knockout. I mean... He's got knockouts on his resume, and I'll hold my hands up. I actually haven't seen any of his performances or his fights pre-UFC. I can only look at the results on his Wikipedia or his Sherdog page. But for someone that's probably mostly ideally suited to welterweight, to see him utilize that power and for that power to translate at 185 pounds was just mind-blowing. I genuinely thought that this was going to be a performance where perhaps he takes Gerald down, and just mauls him but to get a knockout in 17 seconds my jaw hit the floor I couldn't believe it. If you weren't already on board the Hamza Shimaya pipe crane how can you not be now? How can you not be now? He is must watch television, he is mu- must watch MMA, he's already wrapped up the breakthrough star of 2020 easily like we've still got you know about three months and change to go but i can't see anybody else kind of taking that uh, award this year and the fact that we there's a probably a really good chance we're going to see him compete at least once more at least once more this year it begs the question that you are simon who he should be fighting next and i know there's a lot of talk about damian Meyer. man i'm with you simon i don't want to see him fight damian Meyer. i'm like let's put him in there with someone in maybe in the top 15 maybe not top 10 I don't think I'd go that far right now, but maybe someone in the top fifteen. I don't know, maybe a Neil Magny, a Jeff Neal. I don't know, someone like maybe a Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler right now is ranked number fifteen. Um, someone like that, um, someone that's got a, a resume or a name, former champion, um, is still competing. Daniel Meyer, I can't remember the last time competed, but yeah, I mean, it's he's fun to watch, Simon, and I think. Um, I think we're looking at a former champion. I think we're looking at a former champ. Uh, sorry, we looking at a future champion uh, in Hamza. I think sooner or later he's going to put it all together and he's going to get the opportunity to fight for the title. And I think he's going to he's going to get the job done. And um, man, it's. Uh, I think we spoke about this a-, a while back. You know, we have a lot of fighters from that region of the world that southern russian you know area where there's chechnya there's Dagestan, and you've got all these fighters coming through and if you're just a casual fan you know a lot of these fighters maybe might you know look the same they might sound the same it's hard to kind of remember who's who which is why khabib learning english and some of his kind of catchphrases you know khabib time all that kind of stuff made it easier for people to remember him if you're and we've got a lot of Russian fighters in the UFC. For him specifically to kind of break through the way he has this year, not just with his performances, with his post-fight interviews, with his uh, social media, the way he carries himself—wow, just just unbelievable. And I can't, I literally cannot wait to see what happens next because whenever he fights, whoever he fights, it's going to be must-watch. Everyone right now is paying attention to seeing how his career in the UFC progresses and get the popcorn out because this guy is must see TV.
0: Yeah, there's so many potential options on the table. I'm looking at these these rankings now. Damian Myers ranks seventh right now, but he's he's kind of seventh but on the way down that list, I think. You know, he's I don't think he's gonna be contending at any point in his career. You know, he's winding down his career, he might have one or two more fights. I'm looking at this list and, you know, there's there's guys moving up like Jeff Neal. Um, there's dangerous people in that middle bit, in, in, in that sort of middle area of the division. Michael Chiesa is an elite grappler. Rafael Dos Anjos is an absolute monster when it comes to cardio and putting it together on fight night. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson um, is a, a real puzzle that would be fascinating to watch Hamzat Chimaev try and Try and solve the puzzle that is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. The fight that I I would like to see, as much as I just said, you know, maybe he needs to be chucked in there with a with one of the really big names. The fight that leaps out to me that I would like to see, if I was looking to bring him on in stages rather than throw him straight in, would be someone like Vicente Luque. I mean, Vicente Luque, he's ranked tenth, he's a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, and he can bang. And he has proven that he can bang. He is as tough as they come at hundred and seventy pounds. Um, he's good he's good on the mat, he's good on the feet. I think he's the sort of test that I think would help help us bring even more out of Hamzat Chimaev. If Chimaev turns up and and puts someone away, like Vicente Luque, then wow, then we really are we really are into serious excitement territory. Wonderboy Thompson would be an interesting fight. You sort of dropped the Tyron Woodley thing in a little earlier. You know, could could they maybe even could they maybe even do Tyron Woodley? You know, I don't know. I mean it's it's that he's in he's in the perfect division because there are so many options knocking around. Maybe Leon Edwards, if he hasn't got a fight, they might even look to put him in with Leon. Dana White said he's got something big planned for Leon Edwards. Well, He absolutely loves Hamzat Chimayev. I mean, the way he was talking about Hamzat Chimayev after that fight reminded me a lot of the way he used to talk about Conor McGregor. Very, very similar sort of rhetoric, you know. Not just saying about him being good, saying about him being special, you know. You don't hear that that often from Dana White saying this man is special. Um, And, uh, you know, this is when you've got people like Israel Adesanya ruling the world at 185 pounds, you know, absolute superstar I, I don't remember Dana White waxing that lyrical about him but he is about Hamzat have. so I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes um in terms of his, his next fight booking I think maybe they will do the Damian Meyer thing you know the beat, if he beats Damian Meyer he's immediately in the top 10 and then from there it's harder for the guys above him to turn him down because he's then a top 10 contender if he's coming in now, I mean, he's, he's not ranked right now because he's not beating a ranked guy at 170 or 185. So to have a top five guy try and accept, or to ask a top five guy to accept a fight with an unranked newcomer who hasn't fought anybody in a division yet, that's a bit of a stretch. Beat Damian Meyer, that unlocks that little achievement, if you like, and then he's right in the thick of it. So I can see why they might still go ahead with that. I would love to see, even though Luque's ranked below Damian Meyer, I would love to see the Vicente Luke fight. That would be my pick. Um, if you, if I'd put gun to your head, give us a name. Who do you want to see him in there with next?
1: Gun to my head. I think, I think I agree with you, Simon. Not quite somebody within the top ten because, like you mentioned, Damian Meyer's on his kind of way down, Tyron Woodley's on a, on, a, on his way down. I think Vicente Luke makes perfect sense. He's right there. He's like number ten, and he's obviously you know proven, tried and tested, and um, I think that's what we need. Obviously, it's very it's, it's it's nice to get excited about a new guy that comes in and does what Hamza Shamiya has done. But now it's right. Like, okay, cool. Now we need to see him fight somebody that's got a number to their name, and is in their prime. Let's see what you can do. So there you go, Vincente Luque.
0: Book it. Book the fight. All I know is it probably will be quite soon because that's how Hamzat Shumayev likes to do it. And uh, when you've got someone who's able to do that and the way he seems to have done it, I don't know whether this is um, a model that he's following. Fight at middleweight, quick turnaround, you're in fight shape, drop the extra pounds and fight at welterweight. Um, he came out unscathed again. So uh, I remember um, Mirshart said he wouldn't be in any physical state to compete in his in his next fight. Well, Gerald Mishat did not lay a glove on him. Um, So he is as fresh as a daisy going into whatever fight the UFC has for him next. Quickly just run down uh, the rest of this main card. Johnny Walker uh, finished Ryan Spann. Absolutely bananas fight at light heavyweight. Ryan Spann drops Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker comes back. Crazy stuff in shoes. First round knockout. Johnny Walker's back. But is he the threat that perhaps we we, we, we thought he was? I don't know. Mackenzie Dern looks a serious threat um at strawweight um when it comes to a grappling Her striking is still uh work in progress but Random Marcos threw this fight away i don't understand what she was doing in that fight i mean Mackenzie Dern threw a kick fell over Mackenzie Dern is the best female grappler in the UFC there is absolutely no dispute in this and Random Marcos willingly dived into her guard bad move got submitted Game over, first round submission. And then the fight I wanted to talk to you about was the fight that kicked off the main card. We talked about it on last week's show. I thought it'd be a good one. I'm really surprised that um, it didn't end up with some sort of bonus being dished out because it was that I thought it was a really good fight. Kevin Holland edging Darren Stewart via split decision. Um, our mutual friend and colleague, Abby Saban, messaged me uh, and said Darren Stewart won that fight darren stewart won that fight i'll I'll watch the fight back um i think it was a draw i think if i was scoring that fight i'd have scored it a draw i think holland won the first two rounds and stewart got 10-8 in the last round on my card um but it was it was a super close fight super competitive fight holland apologized to dana white coming out of the cage and said i think darren stewart won that fight i'd like to do it again um fancy seeing that one again Sure,
1: why not? Especially if Holland wants to do it. It was an amazing fight. It was very competitive. And, man, they were trading leather. Um, Holland's another one of these guys, man. He's come off the Contender Series and he's made a name for himself in the UFC and kudos to him for just being quite open and honest with how he you know thought the fight went and uh you know giving his take on things i'm sure if darren stewart heard that and the ufc want to run that one back i don't think he'd be disputing that anytime soon because i felt like i scored it for darren stewart uh, i'm sure he felt as though he did enough to win that fight and he'd probably want to prove it especially if they can turn around quickly and maybe get that on flight island Um, so yeah i'd love to see uh, a sequel to that one it was a very competitive fight both guys in their prime love it what's not to like about that one
0: yeah kevin Kevin holland is he's he's probably if if i was doing a list of fighters i always love watching fight he would be on that list he always brings it he's always chatting to his opponent during the fight he's technically good he's got slick boxing he's got sneaky good submissions and uh, he's got this habit of getting himself into exciting fights Love watching the Trailblazer fight. But I love watching Darren Stewart fight. You know, I think he's criminally underrated. I really do. I mean, you know, I was watching social media while that fight was going on and everyone was going crazy about Kevin Holland. No one was talking about how well Darren Stewart was doing. Stewart was matching him throughout that whole fight. It was a very close, even fight. So much so that even Holland himself said that Stewart won. But it was Holland getting all of the social media praise because... I guess he's a little bit more of an outgoing character in the cage. Anybody who's spoken to Darren Stewart outside of the cage knows that he's he's a bit of a character himself. So I'd love to see that fight again. Let's run that one back. Let them both get let them both get healed up. I know um, Stewart sliced open Holland with a couple of elbows towards the end of that fight. So let them all heal up. Let's run it back. Get them back out there for two fifty four. Maybe uh, maybe they'll be ready for that. That was the main card of UFC fight night or UFC on ESPN plus 36 uh but we're into pay-per-view territory and we will talk about that in uh in a minute but let's let's talk you know we talked about Colby earlier you wanted to talk about Colby Covington the brand Colby Covington the persona you're a huge pro wrestling fan I would call myself a a very very casual pro wrestling fan I I, I do enjoy it I don't I don't avidly follow it as much as I used to but I understand the the crossover at times between pro wrestling and combat sports when it comes to selling yourself selling your brand giving people a reason to tune in Prince Nassim Hamed uh, so Prince Naseem Hamed was like that when he was a boxer Chris Eubank was the king of this Muhammad Ali was the king at this it didn't matter whether you want to see the guy win or see the guy lose as long as they want to see you then that's job done and that was always my opinion with Colby that okay he wasn't getting noticed he was this blue chip prospect really solid but no one wanted to fight him because he had this horrible fighting style that it was really hard to look good against and you know he 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 was a engaging interview but it was just that it was just an interview. He never went really beyond his fight week remit. Then it all changed. Then he became, he sort of embraced this, this, uh, this sort of uh, Trump acolyte persona that he's now got. And uh, it's drawn him a load of notoriety. It's got him in the good graces of the president himself. Um, And uh, it's also made him probably the most hated man in the UFC. How do you how do you judge this and and how do you assess where that fine line is between playing a role and taking it too far? Because I remember someone once told me that it's all about be you, but turn it up to eleven. And the the, the thing we don't really know about Colby Covington is whether it's really him or not. I never, I don't think we've really, really got to that question yet with him. Because he just puts the barriers up so well. So, how do you how do you assess this? You know, you're the guy with the the in depth pro wrestling uh, knowledge and all the rest of it. How do you how do you see this? So, there's
1: a lot of things that I've enjoyed about Colby Covington over the last couple of years, right? I love the the use of props that he's done at interviews. Um, I like his colourful suits, right? And he's wearing his shades these little things help you stand out amongst the crowd when everybody else is just wearing a tracksuit and bottom or whatever the case may be a t-shirt or or a generic suit right and he's got this stuff on social media where he's got all these you know curvaceous ladies you know around his arms and i love that kind of stuff you know walking out to kurt angle's music love that kind of stuff that's fun that stuff is really fun and it's engaging and it's different and it helps you uh, stick out from the crowd and all the rest of it. I think with Colby, and this is just my take on the whole journey. He kind of took on this pro wrestling persona and then it's kind of gone pear shaped and it's just got worse and worse as time's gone on. When he first started doing it, it was a little rough around the edges. It's never been clean in this. It's never been smooth. It's never been perfect. The problem with what he thinks is pro-wrestling shtick and him playing this persona and him playing this character is because it's so racially motivated with regards to his stance with the president and the things that he said with regards to Tyron Woodley. We saw this past weekend with his um, back and forth with Kamara Usman on the ESPN post show. I don't see this in pro-wrestling, Simon, in 2020. So, so like you can't just lean on the, oh, well, it's a pro wrestling shtick, when you don't see it in professional wrestling anymore these days. I don't, I don't see this kind of stuff in the WWE or AEW or New Japan Wrestling or on the indie circuit in America or the regional circuit in the UK. And in fact, I don't think I've seen anything like this in maybe over 20 years. I think the WWE when it was kind of really pushing the boundaries of what was acceptable or wasn't acceptable was during that attitude era when it came to swearing. You know, you had this big racial angle with Degeneration X and The Nation, an all-white group versus an all-black group. You want to go back a little bit further, and it was Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter, the Iron Sheik, and all those guys, you know, um, burning the American flag and, and all the rest of it. But this is a bygone era. Like, if you can point to an example where there's been a proper angle, a proper three, four-month angle leading to a big show, a pay-per-view in the professional wrestling world that has essentially gone into that territory of of being you know, racist and and all the rest of it, especially by the big guns in the last 20 20 years, I haven't seen it. Or perhaps I'm just not aware of it or or, or I've been oblivious to it. I just haven't seen it. And so I don't think it's a good enough excuse to hang your hat on, on, on that line anymore. And the thing is, Dana White and the UFC's line on this is freedom of expression, freedom of speech, and, and all the rest of it. But like with a lot of other things, both from Dana and the UFC's perspective, if you really spent some time and did your research, watched interviews, read articles... There's just always inconsistency. You know, the stance he has now versus maybe a stance he had with a particular fighter or a different issue or a different topic five years ago, 10 years ago, or 15 years ago. It's just always different. There's no consistency, right? There was a UFC code of conduct, Simon, that was introduced a few years ago. And by the letter of the law, Colby would have been a multi-time, you know, um, offender you know, of that code of conduct. And so you're kind of left wondering, well, what do we do here? I don't think the UFC is going to condemn him. I don't think even if they were to say anything to him, I don't think he would um, change the path that he's on. He's clearly, you know, pushing buttons. People are upset. Um, Does that translate to ratings? You know, does that translate into people buying more pay-per-views? I thought And we spoke about this last week. Even his fight with Tyron Woodley was kind of like leftover, you know, takeaway from the night before that's been reheated two years later. And the reason I said that is because I genuinely thought that had they fought when we thought they were going to fight a couple of years ago, I thought that would have been one of the biggest selling pay-per-views of the year. I thought the timing was right. I thought the rivalry was there. Colby was just kind of starting to push those kind of buttons. But we're living in a different world now, Simon. Look, Look what's happened in 2020 you know, is this what we want? You know, is, is this what the media, the fans, is, is this what we want from two guys trying to build a rivalry, right? We can always smell when something's genuine and when something's perhaps not, and we'll probably touch on this when it comes to talking about Adesanya and Costa a little bit later on, right? But when something is so openly forced and rehearsed and created, is there a need to go down that road? Like, can you perhaps be a little bit more intelligent with your offense when it comes to verbal assaults? There's a lot of different ways, right, to trigger emotions and to insult somebody without having to go to a line where you're, you know, making fun of their religion or their or their race. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I kind of go back to the point of, listen, The world has changed, is changing in 2020 with regards to what we as humans want. And that, you know, has to be applied to all forms of entertainment, movies, uh, TV shows, sports. You can't on the one hand, you know, be dedicating, if you're the UFC, be dedicating a show to the memory of George Floyd and at the same time be condoning what Colby Covington said to Kamaru Usman. In that post fight show, you know, on, on ESPN, it's like you you can't have your cake and eat it. Like, what are you, what are you doing here, right? And uh, we haven't heard anything. There hasn't been an official statement. I don't know. I'm not. I'm no longer in the media, so I don't know if journalists are asking these questions. Um, and you know, just to kind of, I guess, this is why I'm kind of glad that we're speaking about it now. Is it's hard to kind of, I guess, get this much opinion uh, across in a tweet or a social media post. And I've seen some opinion um, articles written by some journalists, which is great. I just haven't seen enough of that in in the media core. I don't see enough and not just in the media I don't know, I don't want to pin this just in the media, but I guess the people that have voices in the MMA community, I haven't seen enough of um, reaction with regards to Colby and genuine put your stake in the ground. this is my opinion on the matter. And this is where I stand on the issue. I haven't seen enough of that. So I think a lot of people are turning a blind eye to it. And a lot of people are essentially just shrugging their shoulders, saying, oh, well, that's just the way it is. That's just how Colby is. That's how this sport works. That's just how things are in the UFC. And we'll just forget about it. And we'll move on to this great pay-per-view coming up this weekend with two title fights, right? And it's easy to do that because there's a freaking fight on every weekend. It's very easy to just brush it under the table and move on um which is why i wanted us to have a portion of this week's show dedicated to discussing this it doesn't do anything for me simon right everything that colby does doesn't really do anything for me apart from the you know the notes that i kind of brought up earlier on when it comes to what he wears and the props and some of his social media posts that stuff is fun walking out to kurt angles music and in fact some of his um uh you know interviews some of his post-fire interviews especially this past weekend take out all the stuff that he's talking about with regards to LeBron James the 20 seconds or so that I ended up clipping and posting on the BT Sport account when it's just you got nowhere to run you got nowhere to hide Jorge Masvidal Kamara Usman I'm coming for you that was good that for me was yes I love that because now you just got a win over Tyron Woodley right and straight away you have turned your attention onto the current champion and arguably one of the biggest draws in the sport that deserves a round of applause but unfortunately for me everything else undoes all the good stuff that he does so um i hope i've been able to kind of get my my thoughts and a you know opinions across in some sort of, some sort of way shape or form in a coherent manner but uh, when it comes to Colby Covington, i think uh, it's um I hope things change but i don't see it changing anytime soon and if it's not going to change anytime soon then let's just at least at the very least let's continue to talk about it and have an open conversation with regards to what we feel as though is right and wrong and what is acceptable and what isn't and then we've done our piece we've we've shared our opinion and shared our our voice um in our community and if the powers be do what they can or what they want to with regards to colby and let's see what he does moving forward as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without wanting to completely echo everything you said, first off, I totally agree with you. Um, the situation with this is an interesting one because Colby Covington as a pantomime villain is perfect. When he's doing all that sort of panto villain shtick, he does it better than anybody. He does it so well. But there's a dark side to this that that as I think when it started out, it was kind, amusing. Probably isn't the right word, but it 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 raised an eyebrow. So like, whoa, okay, he's going down the whole MAGA thing, right? Absolutely. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But there is there is a line, you know. I mean, him sitting there with with uh, Trump Jr.'s book at the press conference or whatever. All of that is fine, right? But once you start getting seriously divisive, like seriously divisive. I mean, Connor got. Quite deservedly criticized for some of the stuff that he was bringing up in the lead up to the Khabib fight. Now, I'm I'm not talking about the uh, you know the the, uh, the Dolly incident in in uh, in Brooklyn. I'm talking about the press conference stuff. Um, and even during some of the Mayweather stuff, there was some stuff that was that was that was pretty questionable as well. This stuff you could argue is worse, but because I think Colby initially was painted as it's Colby being Colby. He's making he's making some noise. He's being a bit of a panto villain. He's being the bad guy. It's it's given him an, an amount of latitude that has allowed it to spiral out of control. You know, he's not so much jumped the shark. He's jumped an entire flipping school of them at this point. You know, I, I, and I think it's gone out of control. It's gone out of control because he can't dial it back because once you dial it back, everybody knows it's an act. Anybody who thinks that he's legit knows that it's an act. You've got the president of the United States on board, right? So he he's got the biggest potential fan that he could get in the country that he lives in. He's got the number one guy, right? If he dials it back, as oh, you know, I was just I was just pissing about, lads. I don't actually, you know, I voted Democrat last election, right?" That's that's gonna. That's, I mean, imagine that just before the election. That'd be interesting. But it, it's not going to, he's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. And and it's going to completely destroy his credibility um, as a character. The minute, you know, you never, you, ne- it's like a magician never tells you his tricks. You know, a professional wrestler. I mean, it is slightly different now in pro wrestling, I suppose, because in, in the age of social media and everything, you do get to know a little bit about the person behind the character and there is some separation between the character and you know the the professional athlete but with colby colby switched on at all times whenever there's whenever the red lights on or whenever he's in front of anybody you, you know you get you get the full the full thing the question is the question for me is how how much does he believe in what he's saying right if he's believing everything he says then i you know you can't criticize him for being legitimate or you know you know for not being true to himself if that's what he feels no matter what your opinion on it if he's saying things that he actually believes that at this point this this far down the line is probably preferable to him still persisting with an act but then you have to deal with that from a from an ethical standpoint from an athlete code of conduct standpoint and you say look you've got whatever views you've got you cannot be behaving like this in a professional sport you cannot say these things in a professional sport if it's an act then someone needs to sit him down and say look we understand what you're trying to do here but there's a line and you've crossed it but whatever way you look at it someone needs to sit him down and seriously talk to him and go look this this is this is this is not good for our brand. This is not good for the people who are watching. Um, the stupid thing about this, of course, Sander, is you know you've just given your opinion and and you know completely art, you know articulated your view on this. There will be people, particularly in the United States, who will disagree with everything you've just said. Yep. Disagree with everything you've just said um, because there are people out there who subscribe to that, 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 that way of life, if you like that approach. I completely disagree with it. We live in a world right now where I think racism is being given a mandate. It's, you know, people, I don't, it's like in, in, even, even in our country, you know, um, it feels like racism is being allowed to be a bit more visible through the way that politics is working in the country and the way it's working in the states um and there might be people listening to this again, "I'll oh, shut up talking about politics don't care right this is this is this is important because it is playing out in the sport as well as away from the sport. If it isn't happening in the sport, then if you want to say stick to sports, then that's one thing. but when it's in the sport and we're seeing it, then you have to address it, and you have to talk about it. I think he's gone too far. I think uh, when he's when he's playing the fall, he's doing the pantomime villain stuff, I love it. I really do. I think, you know, it's just it's like he feels like he has to go that extra yard because if he doesn't, he's not he's not pushing enough buttons. And that's what that's that's what I don't I don't like. Um and the thing is him going and getting beat hasn't really slowed that down at all. If anything, it's turned it up. So I don't know what's gonna happen next. I mean, you know we're talking about there's there's everything's very polarized in the world right now you're either one thing or another there's very little in between you know um i saw cub swanson tweeted something today saying if everybody could just take a couple of steps towards the middle towards the center then maybe we can all start having conversations again and i kind of like that because what he's saying is whether you're ardently to the left or ardently to the right all the while you're at the polar opposites you're going to find very little in common so you just both if both sides of the argument soften their stance a little bit then things can start to happen but i mean the thing with colby i understand what he well i thought i understood what he was trying to do but he's kind of gone too far but as i said earlier on in the show as an athlete as a fighter as a sportsman you look at what he does when he fights. You can't knock the guy. It's the it's the stuff around it. And you say, okay, if you did that to get to the top, to get yourself noticed, to get the big fights, we've well, you've, you've done that now. Mission accomplished. You're there. You, you know, you don't need to keep keep on, keep on, keep on. If he keeps doing what he's doing fight wise, he's going to get another title shot. I don't, you know, and I don't think it's going to come any faster or slower with with the stuff that he's saying and that's that's what i don't get at this point so i don't know i don't know i mean you know having having different characters and differences of opinion and uh, a cross-section of society within your sport i think is a healthy thing you don't just want everybody like a bunch of robots just going out there and just fighting you know you don't want that um but I do think there needs to be a level of respect there. This is mixed martial arts, martial arts. And one of the first things they teach you when, regardless of the martial art that you learn, it's about respect. It's about control and it's about respect. Um, And uh, Colby Covington has control over what he's doing, but he doesn't seem to have the respect. And uh, in terms of, you know, for the people he's in there with. So maybe, maybe that's the, uh, that's where he's falling short a little bit. But that's Colby Covington, Sandu. Um yep. we talked about um Hamza have earlier in the show. Um and we kind of booked him. We've not seen someone like this guy for a while. I mean, I'm just I'm thinking back, just sort of switching gears a little bit here, moving on from, from Colby, but Hamza, he's a guy, he he's making a little bit of noise, but he's not being massively disrespectful. You know, he's just saying, I'm going to beat everybody. That's basically it. I'm going to beat everybody. And then they put him in with people when he beats them. That's pretty compelling. And he's doing it quick. And Dana White absolutely loves the guy. And I mentioned earlier that he's not, Dana hasn't been waxing lyrical about a fighter like this since Connor. Are we seeing a similar sort of rise from Hamzat as we saw with Connor? Are we, is it too early to start drawing comparisons? What do you think?
1: I don't think it's too early. Um, I think it's almost a cross between Connor and Khabib with regards to in the cage, he's absolutely mauling everybody, right? And then you've got Dana White who's just putting him over. And in fact, when Dana White does that, that is him at his promoter hat best. He's wearing that promoter hat and is really pushing an up-and-coming prospect And putting them over, and people, you know, take what Dana White says like the gospel, you know, and it makes you believe in the fighter more, and makes you want to pay attention to the fighter's story and journey more. And it's, I mean, we saw it a couple of years ago with Israel Adesanya, but this is, I feel like this is a little bit different. And again, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because do we do we have the situation? If COVID-19 doesn't strike, do we have a situation like this where the UFC in 2020 have essentially had to put up two camps, one in Vegas in the Apex and one in Abu Dhabi? And we've spoken about this over the last couple of months where Darren Stewart, another great example this past weekend, you win a fight early on in a schedule and then you just stick around because you may get another opportunity. Because there are still so many travel restrictions with regards to who can fly in to both Abu Dhabi and also to the States, right? And that's exactly how Hamza Kimaev got two back-to-back fights Abu Dhabi the first time around, right? He's just won in Vegas and he's flown back to Sweden. So he's not too far from Abu Dhabi. It's a like, what, three-hour flight, four-hour flight, tops? So he can be there in a jiffy. And they're going to be there for the next five weeks so yeah i mean this is the fun stuff simon this is this is you know every year you you, you want a brand new star to emerge or, or if it's not a star it's someone that's on the verge of being something or some and someone special right i feel like last year or and like the the 18 months between so i say 2018 and, and 2019 we kind of had that with Israel Adesanya and Jorge Mazadal. and there couldn't be two polar opposites, two guys in two different weight classes, in two different um, stages of their career. And this year we've got Hamzat Shimaev. and and like I said, we've still got you know three and a half months of the year to go. Could we see him at least get one more fight this year? I think so. Who knows? Could we see him get two more fights in this year? It's very possible. It's very possible to take. A, we were talking about pro wrestling a little bit earlier on, Simon. To, to take a pro wrestling term, Comes at Shemaya's fights are like squash matches. They don't last long. He wins them with relative ease. I've seen some comparisons from people in the MMA community comparing him to Goldberg, who would literally just yeah, who would literally just come in, hit his like two or three moves, the spear and the jackhammer, get the pinfall, and walk out. And then next week it would and and like I think in WCW, like, that's what. The angle was it was like this guy's on this undefeated run he's 33 and 0 then he's 55 and 0 and week after week after week he would just maul anyone that was in front of him and so that's what we're seeing with with hamza and like how do you even pick against this guy like whoever he faces are you going to pick against him i saw the line that became available with regards to the Damien Meyer fight, he's like a, a minus 500 favourite, which is insane. It's just insane.
0: Disrespect to Damien Meyer, Right? But right? You, um, you totally understand it though, didn't you? That's the thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. You can see where the bookies are coming from. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I think this has, you know, been one of the, the genuine, true, positive, fantastic stories and moments of the sport with regards to 2020. And I'm here for more of it.
0: Yeah, I don't know... Um, if anybody picked this out at the time, Gerald Mearshot has just been absolutely starched. Um, and <laughs> the uh, whoever was in charge of the, uh, the PA in the UFC Apex played Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. But um, Hamzat absolutely has to walk out to the Goldberg music for every fight now. And after every fight, he just needs to stand there and shout, who's next? That's what he has to do. He needs to, he should absolutely do that. Um, He's pretty much doing it anyway. Um, Saying I'll fight and I'll smash everyone. I'll smash them all. But he's, he's superb. And you said, would this have happened without COVID? I'll tell you, it wouldn't have done because he was supposed to fight for the brave welterweight title. And that event got canceled due to COVID. They then tried to rebook the fight but in that time, he signed with the UFC. So proper sliding doors moment right there, you know. Had the coronavirus not struck and cancelled that event, chimayev would have faced Gerard El Salawi for the welterweight title. And if he'd have beaten him, and we've got to assume that he might have done, he'd be the poster boy for Brave Combat Federation right now. And they'd probably have tied him up to a nice lucrative contract. And he would have been their guy probably for a, another year, 18 months. Instead, COVID hits. He's free to talk to other promotions. Boom, joins the UFC. And here he is on a one-way ticket to the top. Amazing stuff. Absolutely amazing stuff. And um, the one thing I will say, I, I sort of started all this by asking, can we draw parallels with Connor? And you said he's a cross between sort of Connor and Khabib. That to me is 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 the key difference. The thing with Connor coming up is there were a lot of people who were pushing back against Connor from day one, and there were a lot of people who thought they saw holes in Connor's game, you know. And I think that's one of one of the reasons why Connor was so successful in in the early days. I think was because there was always that thought that the next guy would be the guy to beat him. Rather than with Hamza, it's like who the hell is going to beat this guy? You know, he's got that indestructible uh, aura around him already. Now, granted, he's not fought a ranked fighter yet. So all of this has got a slight caveat to it. But what we've seen so far, wow, I mean, he he looks the real deal. And I I can't wait um, to see just how far it goes. And it's funny, like whenever you see, you know, the greats, the great fighters the 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 big superstars, sort of ebb away from the sport your gsps your anderson silvers i know silver's still around but he isn't around but you know what i mean you see these big stars go dc and you think well where's the next the next lot coming from sometimes you can't you know sometimes there are people who have been in in the ufc and they're working their way up and you can see that guy's going to do something but then you've got guys like Chimaev, who's just come completely out of nowhere who Unless I know we've got uh, friends in Sweden who knew about this guy beforehand. And as soon as he got signed, they were on WhatsApp telling me, watch this guy. He's legit. Um, And that's exactly how it's turned out. But a lot of the world will have had no idea about Hamzat Chimaev. Now he is the hottest thing in the sport. So that's the great thing about this sport. You know, it's always evolving. It's always improving. And there is always the next wave coming. Um and uh the next wave right now is Hamzat Chimayev. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with him next. Now in terms of what's happening next, Sandu. My God, we've got some fights this weekend. I am gonna be so busy. I'm gonna be so busy. Starting Thursday, I I can't I've I, I should have counted up all of the fights that I'm gonna to have to watch um this weekend because it's 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 a lot. On Thursday night we've got Cage Warriors one fourteen. At the BEC Arena in Manchester. That is the first leg of the trilogy. Where they're going to do three events. In three nights. Uh, behind closed doors. In Manchester. That that first card is going to be headlined. By the flyweight title fight. Between the champion Samir Fadine from France. against England's Luke Shanks. That is the main event. Co-main event. Undefeated Englishman Jake Hadley. Look out for him. Against Sharj Hake. uh Winner of that. Could end up with a title shot or could even end up in the UFC. Both seriously good, good prospects. And you've got Fadin obviously looking to defend his belt. That's night one. Night two, Friday night, Cage Warriors One We've got two title fights on the card. Jack Cartwright, the bantamweight champion, who won the belt at the BT Sports Studio last year, uh, knocked out two guys in the first round to win the belt on in the same night, uh, taking on a Dutchman. Gerardo Fanny, I don't know how to pronounce it other than that, that's the man's name, he's uh, he's he's taking on Jack Cartwright for the bantamweight title, and the co-main event, Nathias Frederick, uh, who trains at Renegade uh, in Birmingham alongside the Edwards brothers and Tom Brees, um, hits like a truck, taking on Jamie Richardson uh, in a middleweight title fight. You've also got former middleweight champ James Webb against Craig the Thundercat White, who is back in Cage Warriors after his stint with the UFC, and he's moved up to 185 pounds. Solid, solid card on Friday night. Then Saturday night, we've got Cage Warriors 116, the final leg of the trilogy. Two more titles on the line. Both of these are vacant. Co-main event, Morgan Charrier, the French super prospect. um, Really, really highly, highly touted French featherweight taking on Germany's Max Koga for the vacant featherweight title. And then the main event... We've got Adam Proctor who is the number one contender at welterweight. He's taking on the lightweight champion Mason the Dragon Jones who's looking for champ champ status. The vacant welterweight belt is on the line in that one. That is the third leg of the Cage Warriors trilogy. I'm going to be on duty for MMA Junkie for all three of those fight events. So uh, if you fancy some live coverage uh, to go along with the uh, the UFC Fight Pass stream that you'll be able to watch it all on then... uh, Do check out MMA Junkie. I'll be doing live results on that. Then, so we got to Saturday now. We've already had Cage Warriors. At the same time, pretty much, as the Cage Warriors card in Milan, Italy, we have Bellator Europe 8. Um, That's going to be a a superb card. That's going to be a lot of fun. Bellator getting back into the groove in Europe. They've started to announce some shows. They've announced an absolute truckload of fights, like as they like to do, um, on their on their on their European cards. Loads of good fights. Luke Trainer, uh, light heavyweight prospect who won a tournament to get a Bellator contract, he's making his debut. Franz Melambos on the card. Uh, Aiden Lee's on the card. A came oneless, uh, sorry, a con oneless, and Alfie Davis are going to fight each other. Iron Pascu's fighting. Will Fleury versus Kent Calpinan and the uh, sorry, Mike Shipman. He's fighting Seabass. and then the main event is the big one: Fabian Edwards against Costello Van Stinus, Massas, training partner, and an absolute savage. That will be a bomb burner at middleweight. That is the main event of Bellaton Milan. That is all the hors d'oeuvres, and quite a quite a sizeable menu of hors d'oeuvres, if I may say so. And then it leads in to the big one: UFC Fight Island, open for business again. UFC 253, Israel Adesanya, Paolo Costa, Dominic Reyes, Jan Blachowicz. It's a biggie, Sandu. It's a biggie, and uh, let's talk about that main event. Absolutely huge, power versus precision. Uh, it's 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 got everything. 19 and 0 versus 13 and 0. And how? One thing you mentioned actually when we were talking earlier on, you're talking about whether rivalries were legit or, or whether some of the trash talk was legit or whether some of it is, is perhaps, perhaps, uh, you know, a, a little bit for the show, a little bit for cameras. We saw Adesanya and Costa, uh, have a little, um, well, they bumped into each other in, um, in, in, in Abu Dhabi and all was well, all was well. Everything seemed okay. Uh, there didn't seem to be too much, too much bad blood at that point. So what does that tell you? Does that tell you that they, you know they're both a couple of well-behaved lads, and uh, it's all going to come spilling out on fight night. Or maybe, maybe that rivalry isn't quite as hot as we were led to believe it is. What's what's your take?
1: I've got a few takes, Simon. So first of all, <laughs> yesterday BT Sport dropped their UFC 253 Adesanya versus Costa promo, which essentially used all the hot sound bites and all the moments in the in the lead up to this one. But the timing of the release just got scuppered by Walid ishmael dropping this instagram video of adesanya and costa coming together i don't know if it was at a an airport terminal or hotel lobby or you know some of these one of these extravagant buildings in abu dhabi i don't know where exactly that was but I'm kinda of surprised Wally Dishmal, Paolo Costa's manager actually dropped that Instagram video because I think he fumbled it if I'm being honest. I think he fumbled it. Now, I think I saw you know, a member of the UFC embedded film crew also there, um, either following Adesanya or Costa or maybe even both. Now, had they captured that moment I think they would have made a judgment call with regards to whether to release that footage in episode one, for example, um, especially w- because of how this fight's actually been promoted so far. They maybe would have chopped and left that on, their, on the editing room floor. Now that Wally Dishmel released that Instagram video, I'm pretty sure if that is in fact a member of the UFC embedded crew also filming that they're probably going to release that as a part of episode one anyway, because it's already out there. But for anyone that was perhaps tuning into this fight because of quote-unquote bad blood, that's all gone. There's clearly mutual respect between these two guys. And and let me just say this now, I don't need there to be bad blood for every single damn fight. I genuinely don't. Now, does it make it a bit more fun when there is, and there's a a a bit more juice behind it? Yeah, of course it does. You know, that's, that's, that's a part and parcel of combat sports. When there's legitimate rivalry, legitimate beef and history, and two fighters are jawing at each other, and in, in the age of social media, they're going at each other on social media with the Instagram posts and Twitter and all the rest of it. I love it. As long as it's not crossing the line, I love it. I'm, I'm I, You know, that's popcorn for me, you know. But they bumped into each other, and they were very cordial. They were kind of sizing each other up. And... There was no security guards separating them or any of that business, right? And so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a fun one yesterday because, like I said, BT Sport released or you know the plan was to release the the the, the, the quote unquote history of beef between these two guys and BT Sport and I've said this even before I joined the company have always done a bang up job of producing some high quality promos for pay-per-views and for the big fights and this piece is fantastic had it been released maybe a day or two earlier or had walid ishmael not put out that instagram video i think it would have done a lot better than it actually did unfortunately everybody kind of woke up on a sunday morning and saw this video go viral and it's like right what have you guys been doing over the last six months or so nine months and what have you been you know, saying to each other on on interviews and these Zoom media days and and all the rest of it, clearly, you know, you guys are just, you know, uh, putting on, you know, an act or you're just trying to promote a fight. So here's, here's what I think they should do now is completely go away from it. I think you just focus on what really matters here, Simon, which is it's the irresistible force versus the immovable object. It's two guys who are in their prime who are undefeated, and they're fighting for a UFC World Championship. That, for me, is all I need to get hyped for Saturday night, legitimately. I don't need anything else. Up until that video, was everything else, you know, a little bit of fun? Yeah, but to be honest with you, since this quote-unquote rivalry started between these two guys, nothing really, you know, hit my emotional chords too much, if I'm being honest with you. I just didn't see it as genuine chemistry with regards to bad blood between these two guys so i kind of thought okay cool i'll will you know i'll buy it if you're selling it but ultimately what i really care about is the fact that you two guys are fighting you're on these incredible win streaks. you're undefeated and you're in your prime and stylistically you couldn't be any different right and so that is all i need and i hope that as fight week plays out that's what everybody focuses on i hope that's what israel and paulo costa focus on i hope that the ufc perhaps pivots a little bit with regards to how they were maybe going to promote this fight versus how they actually end up promoting this fight this week and i think daniel White's gonna have to do um a bit of heavy lifting this week with regards to how you know putting this fight over as well because i think there's a lot of people that might be a little bit uh, have a bit of a bit of taste in their mouth with regards to how the Israel Adesanya Yoel Romero fight played out. And everyone's been high on, on Paulo Costa because he just has one gear, and that is moving forward and just laying bombs on you. And to see how Israel Adesanya stylistically ducks and weaves and uses movement and counters, and oh, that is what I'm just so looking forward to. That's the most compelling thing about this fight. Um... So I guess the biggest takeaway is, Simon, you don't always need this kind of stuff. It's fun when you get it. It's even better when it's genuine. And uh, naughty boy, Walid Ismail, I think... And I'm being, genuine, I'm being genuinely honest about this. Got all the respect in the world for Wally Ismail. But if you're Paolo Costa's manager and you know that there's been so much hype and promotion built around this rivalry, this quote-unquote beef... And maybe this is just an open question or it's a thought that came into my mind when I saw this video yesterday. Have you cost yourself a bit of money here? Have you perhaps lost a few pay-per-view buys of casual fans who don't tune in each week to the UFC or to MMA, who don't really care about someone's O has to go or these two guys being undefeated and who genuinely only perhaps tune into fights when there is this kind of bad blood or beef and all the rest of it? And... You know, clearly, you know, if you're managing one of the fighters that are, are in the marquee fights, that are in the main event, that are fighting for a title, are you perhaps getting some pay per view points? Have you just shot yourself in the foot? That's not a statement. That's more of an open question, but it is something that crossed my mind yesterday. It's too late now, regardless. It's out there, and fight week's going to play out the way it will, and we'll see what the promotion looks like, but it'll be a lot different to what we've seen over the last six months. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating because I'm. I'm always one that I like to see the respect in the sport, right? I like to see a little bit of bad blood is fine. I you know it it adds a little bit of spice. But I also really like it when you see the guys backstage. Where, normally you see after the fight in fairness. Um and we've been fortunate enough to be to be around for some of these things. You know where the fight you see fighters in the bar afterwards and you know they're sort of laughing and joking and 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 uh you know they might have had a a legitimate issue with each other leading in but then it's all finished that's kind of the life cycle of a lot of these rivalries this one to see that before the fight is an interesting one and i don't know i don't know whether not just as it cost paulo costa in terms of in terms of money in the bank i almost wonder whether it's it's uh, a bit of a mental win for israel adesanya Because Paolo Costa is a man who who feeds off aggression. He likes to push forward. He wanted his title shot. He made a lot of noise to get it. And Israel Adesanya met him in the hotel or wherever it was and disarmed him. That's kind of how I watched it. But, I mean, Costa wasn't approaching him to front up. It didn't look like that. But it was a very disarming sort of situation. You know, he was kind of like feeling his shoulder and saying, oh, you're a big lad sort of thing and all the rest of it. And, and they had a bit of a, you know, they had a little bit of a joke about it. And it's like, okay. Um, but for me, I'm a sports writer. I'm a sports journalist. So I've been a sports journalist for 20 years. For me, it is about the fight. And when the cage door closes and the ref says fight, it doesn't matter whether you hate the guy, respect the guy, detest the guy or it's the guy's brother it doesn't matter because at the end of the day it's a fight all of that all of that window dressing goes away and then it's about who's the best fighter that's what I want to know that's what gets me excited about this fight um yeah there's a bit of trash talk back and forth but for me that didn't really play into it for me it's Israel Adesanya who for me possibly the most technically advanced fighter in the UFC right now. He's outstanding. And you've got Paolo Costa, who one of the most physically imposing, aggressive fighters in the UFC right now. Can he walk down this almost superhero-esque character in, in Israel Adesanya, who moves and hits you at angles that you, you just can't predict? You know, Paulo Costa is very predictable. Very predictable. You know exactly what Paolo Costa is going to do. Israel Adesanya is not so predictable. So it's a case of can Costa do? Can he impose his will on Israel Adesanya? All of that is what I'm what I'm here for. That's why I'm tuning in. That's why I'm fascinated by this fight. But the point that you make is absolutely bang on. I think I th- it, it is it is weird when the whole narrative says one thing, and then a twenty second Instagram <laughs> clip basically chops the legs out from under all of it like you can imagine like the UFC's promotional team they must the sound of palm hitting forehead could have been heard for probably miles after after that came out so who knows who knows all I know is it is bad blood good-natured it's gonna be a hell of a fight and I really can't wait give us a pick who's gonna win
1: gun to my head I'm gonna go Adesanya I've been very impressed with everything he's done from day one. And like, look, I don't want to come across like I'm some sort of oracle, but from the very, I hadn't seen much, if not anything, of him prior to the UFC. And I know he had an extensive MMA career before that, and, and a much more extensive kickboxing career prior to that as well. I was oblivious to all of that. He comes into the UFC, and after his very first fight and his very per- first performance, I'm like, "Yeah, you're a star." I feel like you're going to do some big things and probably become a UFC champion. And he's basically checked every box. Um, He's lived up to the hype. Um, He is the cover of the UFC EA game along with Jorge Masvidal. He just struck a Puma deal, endorsement deal, which I think people are trying to say, well, you know, how big is that? That's a big deal, man. Puma just signed Neymar. And then I saw some people trying to say, well, Neymar's in a completely different category versus Nisrael Adesanya. Well, so what? Let's just try to be a bit uplifting and a bit supportive when people in this community and fighters get these deals because hopefully that's going open doors to other fighters down the road getting these kind of deals. And we know what sponsorship like is in this sport these days. It's not what it was like 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So for Israel to get the deal that he's got with Puma, freaking amazing. Um, yeah, but going back to the fight itself, Simon, stylistically, I think he'll be uh, too fast. His footwork, his movement... Um I think it'll be a technical fight that he'll put on. I don't see him finishing Paulo Costa. I do see him getting a unanimous decision victory and I think he'll do enough to get um you know the, the 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 majority of the scorecards in his favor after 25 minutes.
0: Yeah, I've got I've got a feeling he might stop him. I've got a feeling he might stop him. I think I think everything about Paulo Costa is forward pressure, forward pressure, forward pressure, power, power, power and Israel Adesanya is exactly the sort of fighter who can turn someone's momentum and forward pressure against them and i i i think if 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 Israel is sharp and he doesn't get clipped which is a distinct possibility that that can happen um but if he doesn't get clipped early i fancy him to win it in like the third or fourth round i just i've just got this feeling i've just got this feeling that he might do it so I don't know, it's, it's it's going to be a hell of a fight. I mean, the fact that they're both undefeated and they fight so differently um, and they look, as you said, they look so different. <laughs> like Adesanya, Adesanya is a lean, mean fighting machine. And then you've got Paolo Costa who looks like they've built him in a lab, right? And it's 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 incredible. He's, he's an absolute monster of a, of a human being. So I don't know how he fights at 185 pounds he'd be terrifying at £205. So um, fascinated to see how they go. Speaking of £205 though, co-main event, vacant belt on the line, Dominic Reyes, Jan Blachowicz, another clash of styles. Very similar in many ways. You've got Jan Blachowicz, powerful, very heavy-handed. Um, you've got Dominic Reyes, perhaps the slicker fighter, much, much faster and lighter on his feet around the cage. But he could crack as well. He's got some serious fight-ending power. So, fascinating, fascinating matchup. How do you see that one panning out?
1: I'm picking Reyes, Simon, and the reason I'm picking Reyes is I still consider him to be an undefeated fighter. Yes, he has that one loss on his record, which is against John Jones. But I scored it in Reyes' favor. So, in my opinion, I haven't seen him lose. Like John Blahovich, I don't think brings enough to the table to beat a Dominic Reyes because. If Dominic Reyes is the kind of fighter that, in my opinion, can go 25 minutes against John Jones and, and beat him, and beat him convincingly, then that's the kind of fighter I think can be a light heavyweight champion for a very long time. Jan Blachowicz is definitely going to going to cause him some problems. And look, for Polish MMA, what, what story this would be if, following in the footsteps of a y- young Jacek, you have Jan Blachowicz who comes in as only the second champion in UFC history to, to, to come from Poland, that would be huge, especially with the UFC's you know footprint in Europe as well. They've held events in Poland as well. But I think this is all nicely laid out for Dominic Reyes to, to win. I can see him stopping Jan Blachowicz. Um, I'm picking him to win. And I'm also at peace with just moving forward with the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship. We know John Jones is taking some time out uh, to bulk up and get his body right for a potential. Debut at heavyweight down the road, and we also know that if things don't go in John Jones's favor at heavyweight, he can always come back down uh, to light like, heavyweight whenever he chooses to, essentially. And uh, if and when that happens, I would love for Dominic Reyes to be holding that championship belt because I think that'd be very, very compelling. But yeah, I can see Reyes winning this fight, and I can see Reyes dominating. The light heavyweight division for the foreseeable future. I just think he's that good. He's in his prime. He's young enough. He's a fantastic athlete, and I think if nothing else, the 25 minutes versus John Jones has probably made him an even better fighter going into this bout with Jan Blachowicz. So yeah, I'm picking Reyes on this one.
0: Yeah, I think he's he he's carrying a lot of confidence going into this. I mean, he firmly believes that he beat John Jones in that fight. A lot of people think that he beat John Jones in that fight. So. To to know to have that in the back of your head that you in in your mind you you're already the light heavyweight champion in that respect so it's not a case of proving yourself you kind of already done it um, and I like Jan Blachowicz a lot I've spent quite a bit of time speaking to him over the over the years we obviously covering European events and just so happens he's been on quite a few of them um, really nice guy great to talk to. And I just, and and he's done incredibly well to get himself to where he is in his career. You know, he was, he had a bit of, he he sort of hit a bit of a a tricky spot in his career and uh, went back to basics, went back to his old coach. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's hit this hot streak and now he's in a title fight. He's got a puncher's chance. He's got a puncher's chance in this fight. I just think Dominic Reyes is a little bit too slick. I think his footwork's a little bit too good. And I think Reyes' ability to hit him from angles um, is going to be crucial in this. And I don't think it's necessarily going to be one that, that 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 happens quickly. It might be kind of a death by a thousand cuts almost. You know, what I mean, I think it could be over. It could go into maybe the third or fourth round before before we start to see some some real real sort of um, difference between the two in terms of in terms of who's winning and who's struggling. So. I'm I'm picking Dom Reyes I think he'll get it done. I fancy him to do it again. I fancy him to do it inside the distance. I think the championship rounds. The maybe maybe early in 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 the fourth. I think I think uh, I think he might well get it done. But another great title fight on a great card. What a way to kick off UFC Fight Island very very quickly. Let's just run down who else is on this card. Kai Kara-France from the same team as Israel Adesanya they're they're taking on Brandon Royval who's done very well since he's joined the UFC. Ketlin Vieira against Sijara Eubanks and uh, a fight that if they both come in all guns blazing and I think they might could steal the show in terms of fight of the night. Hakeem Dawadu versus Zubaira Tukagov. If they both start throwing, that could be an insane slugfest between those two. Uh, Brad Riddell, Quake, another um, teammate of Israel Adesanya, also on the card. Uh, Jake Matthews is on the card against Diego Sanchez. Uh, and uh, a light heavyweight William Knight who if you watch the contender series absolute monster of a man uh, at light heavyweight got he won on the contender series I think it was last year got given a developmental contract went off won a couple of fights had another shot in contender series won again he's facing Alexa Kamer. that'll be a decent little fight as well so decent fight card to kick off Fight island Sandu
1: yes and i'm also looking forward to just being back in fight island from a visual perspective i wonder and i'm interested to see if there's been any tweaks and changes made since their first and earlier on in the year um i'm just glad that we've got you know fights taking place in a, in a different part of the world and although you know all arenas whether they've got fans in them and they don't have fans in them tend to look the same um, i just think just being in a different part of the world. Getting some fighters who haven't had a chance to compete because of uh, travel restrictions and, and anything else that might have pro- prohibited them of getting into the US it is a good thing. We'll see some fresh faces um, that we haven't seen compete in, in a while. And and yeah, this kicks off five weeks, bookended by two mammoth pay-per-views. Uh, we're going to get some uh, closure and uh, we're going to be able to move on uh, with the middleweight title and the heavyweight title. And yeah, what's not to like? It is a little bit top-heavy, I will say that much. This is definitely a pay-per-view offering where it's all about those two title fights. Um, if you're looking down the card, there aren't big names, marquee names. You've got Diego Sanchez, who's probably as close to a household name as you're going to get in this sport. He's on the prelims. But that pay-per-view main card is all about those two title fights. So Touchwood, God willing, they make it through fight week. Don't test positive for COVID, make weight and all the rest of it. And then if that happens, we should be in for a barn burn like you said, Simon, on Saturday night.
0: Yeah, it should be it should be a good one. Big weekend, big weekend of fights. Three Cage Warriors events, one Bellator Europe event, and UFC returns to Fight Island with two championship fights on the card. Another big show, Sandu. How can uh, how can everybody get in touch with us?
1: Well, the place we want everyone to go is obviously the Substack. So it's thebritpack.substack.com. That's thebritpack.substack.com. If you go there and just drop in your email address, and you can subscribe. Then you'll get an email alert every week when the podcast, the show is available. Plus, right from there, you can go and cherry pick your your podcatcher, whether that's Apple, Spotify, uh, or Android, or anywhere else. And for those of you that do listen on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor. Uh, I mention it every week. But yeah, if you could literally take out 30 seconds from your schedule after you've listened to today's show, just go there, drop a little rate, give us a review good bad or ugly it doesn't matter we want some feedback um, and we would greatly appreciate it for those of you listening on apple uh, if you can do that and if you follow us on social media uh, or if you want to follow us on social media rather then it's at simon head on twitter at simon head sport on instagram and for me it's at sandu mma across the board facebook twitter and instagram and like I said simon a big week lots of fights Back in Fire Island, there's lots going on in the sport. We're approaching uh, the, the back end of, of 2020. Let's see how things play out with COVID. It may just mean that we're now gonna be sticking to this schedule of a run in the apex in Vegas and then a run in Fire Island uh, in Abu Dhabi. And uh, we've we mentioned it quite a few times over the last few months, but I think we're very lucky and fortunate uh, that we have a leader in the UFC that have been able to pull this off and then the trickle down effect of that is like you mentioned the return of cage warriors great to see Bellator back in action I'm especially happy to see them back in Europe uh, that's one spot that the UFC haven't been back to in a while and that's a market in the territory we spoke about their um, event in France coming up as well that's fun stuff. That's good for the sport. That's good for the industry. And it just helps keep everyone ticking over, especially fighters who haven't performed uh, in a minute. Like you mentioned, the Bellator card, Simon, I'm especially intrigued with Fabian Edwards We're returning to action. He's uh, you know, one of the best middleweights in the world, regardless of promotion. And I've always got a soft spot in my heart for the London Shoot Fighter guys, Mike Shipman and obviously Alfie Davis. They're, they'll be on the card as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they perform this weekend as well.
0: Absolutely, and uh, just to finish off, I want to dedicate the show to a man who's forced to hang up his gloves this week, Scottish UFC lightweight Stevie Ray. Uh, He announced major knee problems have forced him to call time on his career. First ever Bama lightweight champion, two-time Cage Warriors lightweight champion, had a great trilogy with Kurt Warburton spanning his time in Bama and then Cage Warriors. Uh, he He recaptured the Cage Warriors lightweight title against Warburton, then defended it against him in a trilogy fight and then got the call-up to the big show. He joined the UFC, uh, and we were both there for his debut in uh, in 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 Krakow, Poland. He stopped Marcin Bandel in the second round to get his UFC career off and running. Uh, he's had some decent wins in the UFC, but probably the, the most satisfying would have been uh, another event we were both at in Glasgow, Scotland, where he finished Leonardo Mafra in the first round in front of his fellow countrymen at the Hydro. Mad night at the Hydro. It was a a crazy event i'm very surprised the ufc hasn't gone back if i'm honest um in, in in the time since then stevie ray went seven and four in the ufc overall uh he was there for five years in the ufc and he goes out on a win because he beat michael johnson uh in his last fight back in october last year in singapore and uh, he retires with a career record of 23 and 9 respect stevie ray enjoy your retirement enjoy your family and i know you've got Braveheart Gym in Cacoldy, Scotland. Sandu.
1: I'm glad that you have dedicated this week's show to Stevie Ray Simon. I want to share a very quick story before we call it a day here. And it kind of goes back to what you just mentioned. It was the sequel, the Kurt, Kurt Warburton fight uh, in uh, Newcastle. I was there for that. I was there for that Kate Warriors fight. And the reason I remember it so vividly is because I ended up interviewing Stevie Ray when all the lights were done And all the the cage was broken down. His leg was in a bit of a bad way that night. He was literally, you know those old school beams uh, and benches that you get at primary school?
0: Yeah. Yeah. He
1: was essentially laying flat on that in one of the locker rooms. And we were asking for an interview and he gave me one and it and it's one of those interviews I'll never forget because there wasn't any you know window dressing any any good lighting there wasn't a, a poster or any backdrop a professional backdrop where we can conduct the interview it was literally in a dingy dark workout room where he'd just been in a fight and he's lying down on a on a bench on a beam resting his leg I'm crouching down to interview him as best as I can and I just respect the fact that he gave me the interview. And then after that, he got signed by the UFC. And I'm pretty happy that that journey of covering him was able to continue in his initial run. Because like you said, we were both there in Krakow. We were both there in Glasgow. The The reception and the atmosphere in that Glasgow event was electric, one of the best of all time. Um, so wishing him nothing but the best. Um, and I'm glad that he's able to, you know, albeit due to injury, I'm at least glad that he's able to call time on his career his, his decision and he's made that decision when he feels as though it's the right time to do it and I wish him nothing but all the success in the world moving forward.
0: Absolutely absolutely, all the best to you Stevie and to everyone else out there thank you for checking out the show. Enjoy the fights this weekend there are a lot of them and we'll be back to unpack it all next week.